Good morning. Our reading for this first Sunday of Advent comes from the prophet Isaiah, chapter 40, starting with verse 3. Those who wish to follow in a pew Bible may please turn to page 816 in the Old Testament. This word comes to the people as an encouragement after a time of difficulty. Let us listen for what the Spirit is saying to us today. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The even ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. Then the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all people shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. May all who hear be blessed by the hope God gives. So, we are founded, we Americans, we are founded on the rejection of people like this, right? Uh, We do uh, uh, of the people, by the people, for the people, right? We don't do kings. But most of human history does. Most of the Bible is monarchy. Uh, The way the Bible talks about God is mostly using the language of monarchy, of being a king. And in history, we see that mostly those uh, things, those hereditary uh, one-person-in-charge systems have gradually shifted to something softer, something different. We don't do kings. But we are fascinated by royalty nonetheless, right? We, uh, we pay attention to them, at least as a culture. We, we want to watch their weddings. We want to see their babies get born. We uh, want to hear all about their scandals. Uh, we want to know about those garters, you know? Uh, or in some cases, we substitute celebrities for uh, kings and queens. We have what some people call a celebritocracy. So I have some fascination with uh, kings and queens, too. More of a historical one, though. Uh, uh, Like some of you, I I look back through history and see who did what and what that was all about and did they wear garters also. Uh, One of my little fascinations, uh, little obsessions, is uh, the nicknames that kings get, queens, too, sometimes. Uh, So, you know, you know this one. Ivan the Terrible. Ivan the Terrible. Um, Ivan. I think uh, that, I can't remember the name, the name went right out of my head, but there was a comedian who did a routine that, that this really was a misunderstanding because actually everybody liked Ivan and they went to him for advice and they would say, Ivan, the terrible thing about my mother is, Ivan, the terrible thing about my job is, okay. That's a, that's a nickname and a half. Vlad the Devil. Yeah, a lot of times these people are named uh, afterwards. Uh, 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 the, Ro- the Romanian word for devil is um, Dracul. 
So, uh, yeah, he was kind of known for some other things. Um, Bloody Mary. Bloody Mary was named such because she decided that Protestant England needed to be Catholic England again, and there was a lot of blood involved in that, which is one of the reasons we said no more kings, no more queens, no more state religion, right? Bloody Mary. Uh, Wenceslas the drunk. Not the one you're thinking about, not the Carol King, because everybody loves Carol King. Right? So, uh, not the Carol King, uh, a descendant. This is Wenceslas IV. Uh, the, the, the one in the song is Wenceslas I. You knew that. Uh, but uh, uh, the drunk, the drunk, yeah, explains that hat, I think. Um, here's my favorite. Here's my favorite, uh, uh, though. This is where we're actually going here is uh, Ethelred the Unready. I just, I can relate to that one. The terrible, not so sure. The devil, the occasional Tuesday, I could relate to that one. Uh, but uh, Ethelred the Unready, I, I can relate to that. Now, people who really know will tell you this nickname is more complex and the meaning of it, but I'm sticking to the simple thing that he wasn't ready because I'm not always ready. Um, I think, you know, we're born unready. Uh, the stereotype that we have to be kind of whacked into even breathing uh, we are just helpless and unable and unready for life. I think it's probably what Jesus means when he says that's how we should be in order to enter, in order to receive the reign of heaven. We sentimentalize children. You know, oh, it's because they're innocent. It's because they're trusting. Listen, by the time they're two or three, they're cheating at Candyland, all right? Uh, that's not the childlike that Jesus is talking about. I think he's talking about helplessness. I think he's talking about total reliance. I think he's talking about perhaps being unready, unable. We're born unready. Unreadiness persists through life. This is my grade school, Jefferson School, Coquille, Oregon. It has been abandoned because where there once were three grade schools, they only need one nowadays. My first day of first grade was an interesting adventure. My mother had taken me over there to register earlier, uh, a week or so earlier. But when it came time for me to go to my first day of first grade, she took me to the bus stop and went home. <laughs> So, you know, I got on the bus with everybody else, and we went to the school with everybody else, but when I got there, I'll tell you, this is how things are different. I was six years old, I couldn't read. Uh, I was not like Deidre. Uh, I couldn't find my name, or where it was, or where I should look, until some fifth grader came along and said, oh, here you are, you're in this class, and took me up to the room, and I went into the room, and I stood there, while all the parents brought in their students, and kind of checked them in, and Finally, Mrs. Philly said, oh, who's this big young man? And uh, I was okay. Then at the end of the day, I had no idea what bus to take. But another fifth grader said, oh, you need to take that bus. Uh, he was still going to stay at school, so he didn't get on it. Well, I got home. Uh, I wasn't ready. I wasn't prepared, partly because my mother wasn't prepared. I was her firstborn. She didn't know what to do. You know, one has to have sympathy for one's parents, especially after one has been in that role. Who is ready to be a parent? 
Who is truly prepared for anything that we do in life? Almost every job is an on-the-job learning experience, right? Who here knew everything they needed to know about getting married when they got married? Okay, no <laughs> liars in the room. That's good. Uh, parenting, all those things we learn on the job. As some of my German relatives say, uh, even at the other end of life, beyond birth, towards the end of life, um, we are too soon old and too young smart, too, too late smart. I got that wrong. Uh, just about the time you start getting a little wisdom with age, the body falls apart and the mind sometimes falls. We are not ready for anything in life. In the church, we sometimes act as though when somebody gives their confession of faith and they get baptized, that they know what it means to be a Christian, that they have that figured out. And I suppose we could say they have enough of it figured out that they want to start being one of those in the same way that we frequently have enough figured out that we think we want to spend the rest of our life with somebody or maybe give birth to somebody. Uh, but we uh, don't necessarily... And really, who is ever ready to really be a Christian? It's been a while since I quoted Maya Angelou on this, but her, her thing used to be when somebody told her that they were a Christian, her response always was, already? No, it's a process. It's something that we move through, that we learn, that we continually train for, that we hopefully get better at. But it is inevitably uh, two steps forward and one sin back, you know. Who is ever really ready for that? And I think that's what I tend to mean when I say that I'm never ready for Christmas. There's the logistical side of that, you know, and we have varying levels of readiness, you know. Uh, some of you got done with all of it, like in July. Uh, you know, and, and, and some of you won't do any of it until the 24th. Um, there you are. There's that. There's the commercial side of it. There's those family obligations. There's the gatherings and the extras and all those different things that can be wonderful and stressful and all that. And, and my readiness for that varies. I'm usually somewhere around 47% ready for just about any of that. But I think when I say, because anytime I've said this before, anytime anybody asks me if I'm ready for Christmas, I always say no. Always, always, always. But I think maybe what I mean by that is that in the same sense that nobody is really fully prepared, fully ready to be a Christian when they start that path. In the same way, maybe we're not ready for the fullness of the meaning of Christmas. No matter how much I ponder it, I never quite feel fully ready for what it means. Yet this is the time of year when we lift up that passage that says, prepare the way. Uh, know enough about that to prepare the way. Know what that way should look like. Know where it goes. I'm not always sure I do. I'm not always sure what it really means to prepare. Get my Christmas list together. Get everything purchased. Um, what does it mean? What is the way that needs to be prepared. 
It may be that I misperceive the place and the way. Isaiah says, not only prepare the way, but where? He says that too. In the wilderness. In the wilderness, prepare the way. Uh, In the the desert, a highway for our God. Not at the mall, not via Amazon, not even necessarily at church, but in the barren place, at the edge, the wilderness. Not the place where we have it all together, but the place of our need, the unready place. As though, I think, maybe to say, own your unreadiness. Own your fumbling incomprehension. Because to tell you the truth, the thing that I'm really never ready for is grace. I am always and perpetually unprepared for the idea that there is unreserved love for me beyond what I do, beyond what I give, beyond what I have, beyond what I get. Grace always catches me unprepared because somewhere in my soul, somewhere in my psyche, I suspect that I'm unworthy. And so grace, whether it is the gracious thing that a brother or sister in Christ does for me or somebody else opening the door or somebody else, total strangers being nice or the undeniable, persistent, uh, unrelenting, inescapable love of God, the grace of God catches me by surprise every time. Every time, I think somehow that the things in life that matter have to be earned, have to be worked for, have to be acquired. And grace comes along and says, Nuh-uh. This is for you. This blessing is yours. This grace is yours without condition, without strings, not because of who you are or what you do, but because of who God is and what God does and how God does it. Maybe sometimes you are unprepared for grace also. If so, I would invite you to acknowledge that barren spirit. For that is the way, that is the route the Savior will take. The desert way, the wilderness way. Not coming to Steve the capable, the competent, the generous, the wealthy, the organized, but to your name here, the incompetent, the stingy, the impoverished, the lost, the unworthy, the unready. Here, Isaiah says, I think, certainly the Gospels echo, here is where the glory of the Lord has been and will be revealed. 
in the hollering, homeless, phenomenally helpless king. Who could be ready for that? 